Okay, anybody in the post-Easter slump? You ate all of your candy at one sitting and you're still in chocolate coma? Anybody? 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 Okay, no? Okay, just, just me. Okay, all right. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of Jude. This is the last book in your Bible before you get to the book of Revelation, okay? It's basically like the, um, it's the guardrails at the end of a street before you go over a cliff. That would be a Revelation when you go over the cliff. Jude is like, stop here. Let's just read before we get into that. Uh, the book of Jude, if you guys have been with us, is something we've been walking through the past couple of weeks. We're going to start in verse 8. There's only one chapter, so we're going to jump in at verse 8. But just to set it up, I want to talk tonight about this idea of following your dreams, okay? Or you may have heard it like this, following your heart or following your wishes. If, if you've been to Disney at all, right, you probably have seen some type of this ideology floating around. Um, in fact, I just pulled up a couple of quotes just on following your dream thanks to Google. Uh, and here's what we got. There's a guy named Walt Disney. No doubt you've heard of him. Here's what he said. Believe in your dreams no matter how impossible they seem, right? And you're just like, all right, dude, I'm, I'm ready to go in the morning. Uh, there is a guy named Pablo Picasso, famous Spanish painter, and he says this, everything you can imagine is real, right? Everything you can imagine is real. Ray Bradbury, who's another famous author, says this, love what you do and do what you love. Don't listen to, any, to anyone else who tells you not to do it. You do what you want, want what you do, imagination should be the center of your life. Listen to that. Imagination should be the center of your life. Okay? Um, uh, there's a lady named Oprah. Maybe you've heard of her. Um, she's in a film that's coming out with Disney. So Oprah and Disney and the dream ideology is combining in this. And here's what Oprah says. The biggest adventure you can take is to live the life of your dreams. Right? And finally, we'll go way old school here. Henry David Thoreau says this, our truest life is when we are in dreams awake, right? So I, I say all these quotes today just to kind of set a cultural context. If you've grown up in America or you've kind of, you know, been aware in America or in the world for the last, I don't know, five years, you've probably heard this idea, follow your dreams. And on the surface, it doesn't sound like such a bad idea. After all, we have probably family members, maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents who came out of perhaps like a, an older mentality where they didn't have dreams. They just like grew up on a farm and then they started to become a farmer and then like your parents became farmers and maybe you're the first generation to go, you know, I'm, farming may not be for me, right? Uh, I may want to move to the city of Orlando and, you know, I don't know, do something else or... Maybe you come from a family who they've all been medical doctors or nurses, or you came from a family and they were always lawyers, or your family, they were always loggers, right? Uh, or whatever it was, and you kind of broke the trade, and you're like, hey, I want to follow my dreams here. I think God's maybe got something different for me. And so on the surface, I think this ideology sounds understandable and sounds actually pretty inspiring. Follow your dreams, right? Like, it's better than, than maybe some other things that are out there. So I'm not, I want to say before you get going too much further, I'm not poo-pooing the idea of following your dreams in general, right? I think in general, I would say the life of imagination and the life of dreams uh, is certainly something that's beneficial. 
in full disclosure, I'm a daydreamer. Do we have any other daydreamers in the room? Okay, Christians, got it? Okay, cool. Um, I'm a daydreamer. Uh, my office overlooks a lake. It actually overlooks that lake right over there, which is uh, the Fountain of Youth, named after our senior pastor, David Youth. And um, so I overlook that, and I look at it all the time, and I dream about what could be, okay? So on some level, I'm a dreamer. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, what I want to talk about today is just this, something that has moved beyond a very simple surface level a notion of following your dreams and, and start talking about something much broader, which is the philosophy that says, start with your dreams and move forward. Because I think we all have friends, if we think about it, who have followed their dreams and ended up in a really kind of icky situation. I'll just give you a couple of examples uh, from my own life. I had a friend growing up, and we're going to call him Joey. And Joey, from the time he was little, kind of had this dream. He was going to be a professional basketball player. Here's the problem. Joey's dad is like four and a half feet tall, okay? Uh, and he wanted to be a professional basketball player, and the average height of a professional basketball player is about six and a half feet tall. So there's two feet of distance that needed to be made up for by something, right? For that dream to kind of make its reality, right? So Joey worked really hard in middle school and was, you know, kind of a standout in middle school and then got to high school and didn't make varsity in high school, didn't make the top team and um, hit this point. It was like, you know, but my dream is to be a professional basketball player. So I'm going to work really, really hard and kind of came on the, the top level team his senior year and kind of rode the bench and played sparingly. And then um, kind of applied to different colleges and said, hey, I'm really interested in playing basketball. That's my dream. I want to be a professional basketball player. By the time he hit college, he was, I mean, by the time he hit high school, he was probably five foot eight, right? So still considerably shorter than he needed to be. But his dream, keep in mind, was to be a professional basketball player. And he saw the movie Rudy and he knew he could just follow his dreams and he could overcome anything, Right? And this whole community was around him. His parents took him to all the different basketball things, got him in all the AAU teams, got him in all the circuit, right? So Joey's just trying to try and apply to all these colleges. Finally, a division uh, three, actually an NAIA, which is kind of the lowest division of competition in college. One of those colleges said, you can be an invited walk-on on our team. And Joey was like, yeah, I can be an invited walk-on, which means he could practice with the team and then sit on the bench and take statistics during his college career, which is what he did. Didn't really play much. Um, he was what was called a 20-20 player. Do you guys know this? If the team's up by 20 or down by 20, that's when he got in, okay? Outside of that, he never got in to play basketball. And so he got to the end of his college career, and um, he said, okay, well, I'm hoping maybe the NBA will draft me or maybe I can go play in Europe or some other place. And no one called because Joey sat the bench on the lowest level team and he's five foot eight. And no matter how hard he worked, he was never gonna work hard enough and dream hard enough to be six foot five uh, and play basketball. And when he came to the end of that dream, it crushed him. And he was just so disillusioned with life, walking around like, how could this happen? I worked so hard. I had this dream in my heart. I wanted to play professional basketball. How could this not come about? Did I not work hard enough? Is there something I missed? Oh, he's just asking all these questions. He was just disillusioned and depressed and frustrated. And it was really hard as a friend watching Joey go through that. 
the people who were also disillusioned by this uh, was uh, Joey's parents, who had spent all this considerable time and money trying to invest in Joey to become a professional basketball player. It makes sense. Their parents, they want their kid to live his dream. And so they put all this time and energy into it. And at the very end, it didn't pay off in a professional basketball career. And now, not only is Joey disillusioned, but his parents are disillusioned. And Joey is now a 22-year-old. He's got a college degree in general studies. Um, and he has no clue what to do with life. And he just sputters around in his 20s. Doesn't know what to do. Aimless. Doesn't know what dream he should go to next because what he's learned by this point is following his dreams gets him nowhere. And so he's decided just not to dream at all. And this is Joey in his mid-20s. I imagine you probably know someone who's like this, who may be a, a Joey. There may be a Joey in your family. There may be a Joey in your neighborhood. And maybe he wasn't a basketball player. Maybe uh, what you know is uh, the person who uh, maybe went to college or kind of at the end of high school said, you know what, I'm going to make a lot of money. And so I'm going to major in the thing or I'm going to approach the thing that's going to make me a lot of money. And maybe they want to go be a doctor because they heard that doctors make a lot of money. And they get into their first anatomy and physiology course and they're like, oh, doctors have to know a lot of information. Ooh, yeah, I'm not very good at school. So how can I be a doctor without knowing a lot of information, right? And they come to the end of that dream and now they're disillusioned and they don't know where to go in college. They don't know where to go in career because that option was down. They're like, okay, well, how else can I make a lot of money? Okay, well, what if I go into accounting? So they get into their first accounting course and they're like, oh, you have to know a lot of math to do accounting. Um, I'm not good at math. So maybe this was a terrible idea. And they're like, okay, well, I can't do medicine. I can't do accounting. What can I do else? What else can make a lot of money? I can sell drugs, right? Because... <laughs> I don't know, I've just heard maybe that could be the thing, right? And so in disillusionment, that's what they chase, right? Or okay, That's a silly story. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe you're one of the like 500 people who work in Disney corporate. Maybe there's more than that, right? And your dream is to work for the happiest place on earth where dreams come true, right? Some of you are like, I know where he's going with this one. You get to Disney corporate and you just imagine that Disney corporate is like, uh, like this fantasy world, like almost like Cinderella where she's making the dress and all the mice are helping her. Like when you get to your cubicle, Gus Gus comes out and gets you some coffee, right? Makes it where you're like, thanks, Gus Gus. <laughs> okay, pal, right? And you're drinking your coffee and doing your TPS reports as birds are chirping somewhere. And you get to your first day in the office in the corporate world and your boss is a jerk. And it's not this fantasy land world, it's this mean streets, doggy dog business culture, and you're just like, oh my goodness, and now this dream you've had all your life, you worked so hard, you went to business school, you took accounting classes, you hate math, but you put yourself through it all to get to this point, and your dream job is terrible, and now you're disillusioned. So what do we do? What is someone to do about this approach to life? Friends, I want to tell you something up front. We're going to find it in the Bible here, but I want to tell you something up front, just some life advice, whether you're in college, whether you're a young professional, whether you're an old professional, whether you're a believer in Jesus who's here today, whether it's your first time coming into a church and you're like, Christians are crazy, right? Wherever you are today and in this process, here's the big thing I want you to take away. You can know it way up front. You know, if you get bored after a while because I start talking about philosophy and you want to check out, this is the big thing that you should know here today. It's in your bulletin. It's this. The big idea is following your dreams will lead to a nightmare. So follow Jesus instead. That's my message. Hey, guess what? 
following your dreams, it's, it's inevitably going to lead you to a nightmare. So don't follow your dreams. Instead, follow Jesus. And I don't want you to think that this is just something I say. So the authority I'm going to appeal to today is the Bible. I want to show you how the Bible presents this argument today. So if you have your Bibles open, you can jump in with me. I'm going to read from Jude, starting in verse 8 and reading through verse 10 in the English Standard Version. It will be on your screen if you want to read with me. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and, like, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. And we're going to stop there. Let's recap where we've been, just so you guys know. Jude is a letter that Jude, the youngest brother of Jesus, is writing to a church. It's a, it's a network of, of small groups that are meeting in northern Israel, southern Syria, predominantly Jewish-speaking or Jewish-cultural Christians. He's writing this letter to encourage them. And if you remember, his desire is that mercy, grace, and peace be applied to them, I mean, multiplied to them. And as soon as he prays this over, he realizes that he can't pray this blessing of multiplication because there's so much division going on in this network of house churches. And like Isaac said a couple weeks ago, he wants to give everybody salvation. You get salvation, and you get salvation, you get salvation. But he can't do that. He's got to go back to some elementary things, some foundational things. Why? Because certain people have crept in, and these certain people have been the kind of people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. In other words, these are people who pre facto justify their behavior. They think, oh man, I really want to sin and do something evil. Oh man, but I shouldn't do it because that would be immoral. Wait, 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 wait. But Jesus forgives people who sin. Cool. Well then, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sin, and then when I'm done with everything, and I feel really crummy about myself, I'm going to go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, and he is oath bound to give it to me because that's what he said. Easter, right? And so this is how they, this is how they operate. They're like, yeah, son, I got my Easter basket. I'm going to sin, and then I'm going to go to Jesus, and it'll be all good. And these kind of people have crept in. And so Jude is spending some time talking about who these people are. He says, these are the kinds of people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. And if you remember last week, he said, um, these are people who are oftentimes inside the church. These are religious people. It's not, the issue is not that they're outside the church. The issue is that they're outside of truth. These are people who hear truth and like Pharaoh's army, go in the opposite direction. They see this fire tornado come down to the ground. They're like, whoa, some divine being must have brought that. And then as soon as it's removed, they're like, oh, okay, let's keep going forward as if I never saw the fire tornado in the first place. Yeah, we'll chase after the Israelites into the Red Sea, even though it's being spread apart by some divine force. Surely it won't close on us when we get halfway through exactly as the point that Moses is coming across. And he looks across and the guy's like, that's a good idea. And they just go, right? These kind of people who see truth and they go the other way. That's how Jude's described the people who are being divisive in these small groups. The kinds of people who are perverting the grace of God. Well, Jude this week is going to give us an extra description of who they are. And so I want you to notice three things that Jude says about these kinds of people. Um, and just, uh, just in terms of laying down some ground rules, if uh, 
some of these descriptions start to describe people around you, maybe some friends you brought. Let's have none of this action here going on, like no looking around, texting people like you know who you are, right? So can we just be cool in here? No judgment, no judgment, friends. Let's just be cool, right? I want you guys to notice three things about these people. I want you to notice who, I want you to notice what, and I want you to notice why. Here's the who. Notice, number one, who these people are. And Jude gives us three sub-descriptions of who these people are. Number one, they do what feels good. These are people who do what feels good. Jude says they defile the flesh, or they live in a very fleshly way. What this means is these are the kinds of people who just live this life doing whatever feels good, and they're chasing after that. Okay, what feels good, I'm going to go do that. What feels good, I'm going to do that. Another way to describe these people are they're people who avoid pain, just, they'll do whatever they can to avoid pain. If they can self-medicate to avoid pain, if they can chase after thrill-seeking to avoid pain, they're going to avoid pain at all costs. Why would people live their lives seeking pleasure and avoiding pain? Well, on a simple surface, it's because that's how human beings operate, okay? You're a little kid, you touch a fire, you know, touch the stove and it's hot, you're like, oh, and avoid pain. It's natural, right? You eat some candy, you're like, pleasure, right? So you want to you pursue pleasure, But on a deeper level, that's not what Jude is talking about. He's talking about the deeper level. On a deeper level, these are the kinds of people who are avoiding pain because pain is like this light flickering on the dashboard of their life telling them something's wrong with you. Something is off. You're missing something. Warning, warning, warning. And they're like, I don't want to look at that. I don't care if my gas looks like it's too low. I'm going to keep driving, right? I'm going to keep driving this way because maybe just magically gas will appear in my gas tank and I'll get to keep going, right? They're just pursuing whatever feels good and avoiding pain for as long as possible. And what Jude is saying about these people is, hey, at some point, the pleasure is going to run out And now you have all these consequences of pain that have been coming along this whole time. And now you're going to have to deal with all of these consequences and it's going to be really difficult. These are these kind of people, right? They're people who do what feels good. Number two, they're also the people who feel like they're beyond accountability. They're people who are beyond accountability. These are people who reject authority And these are people who are unteachable. These are the kind of friends you know who are like, yeah, that doesn't doesn't count for me. That may count for everybody else in the world, but not me, right? These are the people who wear white after Labor Day, right? They don't even care. They're like, I'm wearing white socks after Labor Day with shorts. Going to Disney, I am that tourist. Yes, I'm gonna do this, right? They, They throw caution to the wind. They eat after midnight, right? And then they jump into a pool immediately because they're like, psh, I'm not waiting 15 minutes, Right? They live beyond accountability. Uh, they're the people who speed. Okay? Oh, that one's not so much fun. You're like, wait a second, I speed. Is he talking about me? Maybe I am. I don't know. Okay? If the Holy Spirit's convicting you, then you want to just go with that. No. Uh, these are people who we know who generally have a disposition of saying, anything anyone tells me to do, I'm going to do the opposite. Again, truth comes in, I'm going the other way. I live my life beyond accountability. The minute one of my friends starts to have a serious conversation with me about the way I'm living my life, I'm like, bro, 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 chill out. I don't want to talk about that. Like, yeah, I noticed you've been spending a lot of money at this one store. Like, does Dave approve of this? And you're like, bro, 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 don't bring Dave Ramsey into this. Nope, 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 right? We're not talking about this. My money doesn't exist. It's, it's magic money, okay? Don't worry about me, right? These are people who are beyond accountability. Why? Because if they made themselves teachable, 
they would be aware suddenly of all of the warning lights on the dashboard of their life and the pain they're feeling, and they might actually use that season to change their ways. But by being beyond accountability, they can avoid all of that a little bit more. Finally, they are agnostic out of convenience. They are agnostic out of convenience. Jude says they blaspheme what they do not understand. Now, just, just think about this phrase, they blaspheme what they do not understand. And in, this is verse 8. In verse 9, he's going to reinforce that. In verse 10, he's going to reinforce that. Think about the, the gall you have to have to be the kind of person who blasphemes things you don't understand, right? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's really no equivalent, but it's like, imagine you meet an angel. Jude's going to talk about this later. You meet this angel, and you're like, I could take that angel, right? Like, the angel is, like, doing all these miraculous things, like, lifting up, you know, or let's put it into kind of more modern context. Let's say you meet a Jedi knight who's, like, lifting things with his mind or her mind, or, like, it's like Luke and the last Jedi. How many of you have not seen the last Jedi, but you want to? Okay, I'm not going to spoil anything. Is this you? You're going to watch this later, Brandon? I shouldn't spoil anything? You all know what I'm talking about, right? There's that one scene. Brandon, close your ears. There's that one scene, you know, where Luke does really cool things. Okay, Brandon, you're good. I want you to imagine someone seeing him being like, Psh, I could take Luke, right? They're just, anything that seems to be supernatural, they're like, yeah, you can't handle me, right? They just talk smack about Jesus or anything supernatural, right? They just seem to not have an understanding of how the order of creation operates, right? They're people, in this sense, they're agnostic, they're denying of God or God-type things, but they're doing it more out of convenience. And here's what I mean by this. Let me give you a great practical example of people who are this way. Um, you see this a lot in college, maybe late high school. Um, you have all these friends. They grew up in church together. They're all religious. And they all put on, they have like the true love weight ceremony in seventh grade. Anybody go through the true love weight ceremony like in middle school where you get your purity ring and you're like, I'm never gonna have sex until I get married to that one person. It's gonna be perfect. I'm not even gonna kiss. And then on our wedding day, we're gonna kiss for the first time. It's gonna be beautiful, right? Maybe that's too old for you guys. Maybe y'all are like, no, we watched Friends growing up. We just knew we were having sex all the time. Um, well, in my generation, that was the thing. But right, you grow up, you kind of basically had these Judeo-Christian values of no sex until you get married and and then all of a sudden they go off to college or the army or they get their first career. And then they're like posting like selfies on Snapchat of like all their sexual conquests. And you're like, whoa, what happened? And so you meet up with them, maybe at like a reunion of some type. And you're like, hey, man, I remember being in middle school and you talking about never wanting to have sex till you got married. And now I see you on Snapchat all the time. And I don't know why you post this to Snapchat, even though I've asked you to stop doing this. But, you, you know, apparently once we got off Snapchat, you started texting me all this stuff. I'm like, why are you talking to me about this, right? And so they're just doing all this stuff. You're like, hey, like fill in the gap for me. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm agnostic. And you're like, what? And you're like, yeah, I'm agnostic. Now, I don't know if I believe in God. And you realize there's a reason why they're agnostic. You can't be Gnostic or you can't be a theist. You can't believe in Jesus and live your life in a sexually immoral way. So the way to have all the fun sexually is to go, oh, yeah, I don't believe in God anymore, so maybe all these morals will go away so I can have as much sex as I want. See this all the time in college ministry, right? The senior in high school is like, I can't wait to go to college. I'm going to be a light for Jesus. And then they get to college, and they're like, I'm sleeping with everybody in that room, right? <laughs> and you're like, how does this work? You're like, well, I'm agnostic now. Like suddenly we're like, oh, you're agnostic? Sure, that's okay. That's perfectly healthy for you. No, these are the kind of people who are out there who when they find the convenient way to avoid talking about God, they're going to do that because they don't want any accountability. This is the theme about these kinds of people. Who are they? They're people who are avoiding accountability. 
They, they avoid pain and seek pleasure. They make themselves unaccountable to anything. They blaspheme anything that has to do with religious things because they're like, this is so dumb because they don't want to be held accountable to reality. They want to live as if reality doesn't exist. These are the, the extension of the people who see truth and they go the other way. You got a clear picture of who they are? Well, Jude says this. This is who they are. And he asks the second question. This is, or I want you to notice, what Jude compares them to. Now, this is really interesting. Um, Jude's a very nice man. I'm sure he was a very wise elder, uh, maybe a very wise like leader in this area. But Jude does not play around, right? Because I want you to notice what he compares these kinds of people to in verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to, uh, uh, to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, you guys may not, have be, uh, may not be up on your like first and second century pseudo-biblical texts. Anybody just love reading pseudo-biblical texts from the second century? Anybody has a hobby? You just get on Wikipedia and you're like, oh, what's going on here? No? Okay, so let me just give you a context of what was really cool in the second century. So we're talking like 150 AD, okay, uh, in Jerusalem, right? There would be these people who were Christians, and they would start writing fan fiction. You guys know what fan fiction is? Y'all are down, right? You, you watch Star Wars and you're like, man, someone needs to do a deeper dive on that one stormtrooper who is in episode four who really didn't get a lot of mention. I'm gonna call him John, right? And so you do like a whole internet article on John the stormtrooper from episode four, right? And it's like this fan fiction stuff. Well, fan fiction was way even more popular in the second century because there's not a lot of authors, there's not Amazon, there's not self-publishing options. And so they're like, cool. And so these people who really love the Bible would write all of these like extra biblical texts. And one of them is called uh, the Testament of Moses. And basically it's like this story of Moses's life written from like a fan fiction account. Um, so I'm sure it had tons of emojis in it and things like that. So it's probably really cool. But here's what happens in the Testament of Moses. At one point, uh, the archangel Michael, an angel, and Satan, a fallen angel, both angelic beings, they're having this argument about where Moses' body is buried. And Michael is like, it's buried here, and he points to Google Maps. And Satan's like, no, he's buried here, and points to another spot on a Google Maps. And like, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. Like back and forth and back and forth over this, you know, just thrilling discourse, as you can imagine, fan fiction may be. Uh, and they're having this conversation. So Jude is aware of this that's going on, that this conversation's happening. And what he writes is, hey, he's telling his crowd who would have read this fan fiction, he's saying, hey, you guys know that kind of fan fiction about the body of Moses? And they're like, oh yeah. He's like, I just want you to consider something. Michael and the devil are arguing about the body of Moses. And in that whole argument, Satan not once wrote a disparaging word against Michael. He didn't say, well, you know what, Michael, you say that because you're an idiot. It was just like, no, it's over here. No, it's over here. It's this very cordial debate among angelic beings, right? Satan is very cordial in this thing. In other words, Satan is not somebody who would blaspheme an angel. Satan is not someone who would blaspheme a glorious one. Even Satan, the worst being in the universe, would not blaspheme another angel. 
But these people who have come into your life group, who are turning the grace of God into this license for sexuality, right? These people are blaspheming glorious ones all the time. You know what he's saying? He's saying these people are worse than the devil. Now that is hot fire in the second century AD. I want you to know this, right? There's not enough rap horns that you could do after you say something like that. You can imagine like the first time they're reading this because the way they would have read this would have been in a life group and like the guy reading it aloud and people are listening, he gets really nervous as he gets to this point. He's like, yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams for all the stuff. But when the archangel Michael, he did not pronounce, and they're like, what happened? Yeah, yeah, Satan didn't blaspheme the glorious ones. And everyone's like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 he didn't. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That is the hottest of hot takes, right? I, I want you guys to feel something here. Jude is saying people, these kinds of people, they're worse than Satan. Because even Satan, the Bible says, even Satan and his demons, when they think about Jesus, they shudder because they're afraid of him. If you meet someone who is so arrogant and unwise and unfoolish to blaspheme glorious ones, that person is far gone. Like, just, just be aware of this. I'm not talking about someone who has a healthy skepticism, okay? I'm not talking about someone who's maybe had a bad experience in church and is really uh, kind of nervous around religious people. I'm talking about someone who is so blatant to be like, God doesn't exist and I'm gonna prove it to you and everyone who believes in God is an idiot. Those are the kind of people that Jude says are worse than Satan because they don't even have the decency or respect to admit that there is a possibility in the 50% of no knowledge that you could have that a God might exist. These are people who are just off the hinges. Y'all getting a clear picture of who this is? Some of you walked in here today and you're like, man, I'm really nervous. I might be one of those people who's in that life group causing problems. And by this point, I hope you go, nope, that's not me. I'm definitely not one of those people. Those people are off the hinges. And I hope you guys see that now. But I hope you see also the third thing that's going on. It's the who, it's the what, and it's the why. Why is this approach, in particular, their approach, so unhelpful? Why is the approach that they take so unhelpful? Why is this approach that's worse than Satan so unhelpful? It's unhelpful for this reason. Number one, it's destructive. Because it's destructive. It's destroying these people. This is a person whose warning light is going off all the time in the form of pain, and discomfort, and they're avoiding it by pursuing pleasure. This is a person who's made themselves isolated uh, and unaccountable to everyone around them. This is a person who sees what Satan does and goes, <laughs> hold my beer, I'm gonna do worse, right? Th this, is, this is destroying their life, right? But there's a reason why it's so destructive, because number two, it's unreasonable. The reason this doesn't work is because it's unreasonable, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent. And anybody who's rational, the least bit rational, will know this instinctively as soon as they jump into it. That's why it's so preposterous that people would live this way. And so let me just give you an illustration here. I've got these Easter baskets, and we're going to just kind of uh, explain this. Let me set this up. We've got two Easter baskets here, right? So we've got the first one here. Can you all read what that says? Humanism. Okay, this Easter basket represents humanism. Humanism is a philosophy. It's an approach to life that basically says this. Uh, at the center of my life is me. And I'm going to live my life with me or with humans at the center. Okay, humanism. 
Uh, now, you can notice about the humanistic basket, I purposely made sure it was decorative, right? You're like, oh, it kind of pops. It's got a little gingham pattern there. Okay, I like it, okay? Because humanism looks really hip and cool and modern and trendy, and you're like, oh, maybe I should kind of, maybe I should dabble in that. I don't know, right? No judgment, I'm just saying, you know, humanism looks good. And then on this one, I have this. Can y'all read what that says? Jesus, right, it's the Sunday school answer. You guys, it's cool, you can say it. Uh, Jesus, the Jesus basket, uh, or the Jesus-centered approach just says, in comparison or contrast to humanism, the Jesus-centered approach says, I'm gonna let Jesus be at the center of everything that I do, okay? Uh, and, and notice I chose this basket, it's quite plain, it's kind of bland in comparison. It doesn't pop, it's not trendy, it's not sexy, it's not cool. It's just kind of like, you know, workmanlike, just gets the job done, which is very Jesus-esque. Both these baskets were built by carpenters, just like Jesus. No, I'm just kidding, I won't go that far, okay. Uh, yeah. Now, in addition, I have three Easter eggs here, okay? Uh, and I have the three Easter eggs because they represent the sequencing of any philosophical approach. What we're dealing with here are people who have moved into this approach to life that's very destructive and it's unhelpful. It's illogical. And I want to explain to you why it's illogical. And hopefully by the end of this, you guys will understand. And so the eggs kind of line up like this. We have three eggs, and inside of each egg, there's the fill in the blank for this thing that's in your bulletin. So here's the first one. It's blue on top, yellow on bottom. We'll talk about that. And inside this egg is this term, belief. Okay? Belief. This is the first layer in the sequence of an approach. It's a belief. It's a presupposition. It's a value. Before you ever start to move into any kind of worldview or approach in your life, you start with these foundational beliefs. You suppose that the world basically operates a certain way before you ever execute your, your ideology, okay? It's a belief, and this is gonna start here. The second one here, the pink one with a little lamb on it, right? It has the, t the word framework. The framework is the very middle part of your method or your approach. It's the form it's the thing that you execute. It's the thing that holds it all together. It's the framework. Okay, and the pink thing here is going to represent the framework. The, uh, the, the final egg that's yellow on top, blue on bottom, is the term outcome. Outcome, or the end, or the telos. It's the, it's the goal for how you're, uh, it's the goal you're trying to attain in your approach and living your life. Now I want you to notice something. The belief and the outcome have the same colors. And there's, there's a reason for that. Because when you, when you do this right, when you do any approach right, you'll notice that the belief and outcome are connected, right? Because once you achieve your outcome, it should reinforce your beliefs, which get played through your framework and create new outcomes, which reinforce your beliefs, which play into your framework, which comes out in the form of your outcome, which reinforce your beliefs, and over and over and over again. The reason it's set up this way, that there's a cyclical backtrack way through any system, any worldview, any approach, is at some point, if you have a belief and a framework and an outcome, and they don't line up, you're supposed to go, oh, maybe I did something wrong, right? It's like, uh, for example, it's like you have the uh, teacher's book, 
when you're doing the work, you have the teacher's book and it has all the answers in the back and you keep flipping to it and you're like, oh, I didn't get that right. Well, let me go back and kind of rework the math problem again. Okay, did I get the right answer that time? Nope, let me go back and rework the math problem again. Did I get the answer right that time? Yes, I did, right? This is, in a sense, the answer book that tells you whether your framework is aligned with your beliefs, okay? So it's a feedback loop internally helping you to know that there's consistency. Here's the problem with the approach these people are taking. The approach that they're taking is there's inconsistency. It's unreasonable in the way that they live. It's unreasonable. They're, they're, they've got one set of beliefs and another set of outcomes and they haven't even thought through their framework or they've got a set of beliefs that meets up with their framework but their outcome is different and they keep getting this outcome and they keep avoiding it because they have no accountability or they don't have any core beliefs and they've got a jumbled framework and so they don't even know if they've got the right outcomes they can't even measure that it's just this jumbled mess all over the place they're living as these inconsistent people and it should be self-evident to them that something is off but even despite all the warning signs they're avoiding it and they're going the other way they're living just this crazy train wreck of a life that's worse than Satan, and they seem to be unteachable and isolated. And Jude says this. Jude says, hey, this is not the way to live. These are not, this is not the way to live. I want you to notice this about these people. Okay, I want you to notice this about these people. So uh, I want to give you a couple examples here uh, on, uh, or I want to give you a couple application points here on this statement. Or maybe let me reframe it this way. If this approach here that I've described is unsafe, if it's unhealthy, if it's destructive, and I'm aware of it, how do I as a person avoid that? In other words, if living my life with my dreams at the center of who I am leads me towards this kind of destructive nightmare of a path, then what steps can I take today to avoid this? Because Jude, as you know, is writing this so people will live an opposite way. You may be here today. So I want to give you three steps for living your life in a way that's going to help you to avoid this kind of pain and pursue a life that's a little bit more consistent and a little healthy. And so here's what it is. Number one, if you're someone who has been living your life with humanism at the core, and here's how you know if you've been living your life with humanism at the core, you start most of your days with the idea, what do I want to do? Again, your core belief goes in the basket of humanism. What do I want to do today? How do I want to live my life? If you are at the core of what you do, here's what I want to challenge you to do first. Switch baskets. Okay? Instead of asking, what do I want to do with my life? What is my dream? What do I want? Ask yourself this. What does Jesus want for my life? What does Jesus want for my life? What is Jesus' dream for my life? And here's why this may be a more helpful way to start. If it is true that Jesus is God, and I am convinced he is, I find that to be a compelling argument. If it's true he's God, then he's sovereign over everything that happens in this world. He knows the end from the beginning, which means his dream for you is going to work out 100% of the time. Let me say that one more time. His dream for you is going to work out 100% of the time. So starting your process going, Jesus, what do you want? And hearing him say, this is what I want from you. Okay, just guarantees that it's going to work out the way it should. Here's something that may be, now I'll just say this. There are some people, they have stories and they go, hey, listen, I followed my dreams and I had great success. Hey, it might work out for some people. I don't know what that percentage is. 5% of the time? 10% of the time? Uh, are some of those people who talk about following your dreams, are they Christians and so they're connected to Jesus? Are they followers of God? 
I don't know. I don't know that this works out. It might. I'll be real honest. It might work out for you. I know this is going to work out. So the first step that you might consider today, and I wouldn't move past this, is put, uh, uh, is switch baskets, okay? Stop asking, what is it I want? What is my dream? What's my desire? Start asking, what does Jesus want, okay? Because that works out 100% of the time. Here's number two. The second thing you can do. Second thing you do is, not only should you put this, this egg right here in the basket of Jesus, okay? You should put all your eggs in the basket of Jesus. You should put all your eggs in Jesus' basket, now, here's why I say this, why I think you should put all your eggs in Jesus' basket. Because here's the way our current culture and even the church culture tells us what to do. Here's what they say. It's okay for you to put one of your eggs in this basket, but we're not really sure about this Jesus, right? Okay? He lived a long time ago. There's all this stuff. I saw the Da Vinci Code. It's weird stuff with the Bible. So maybe put one of your eggs over here and then put the other two in the basket of humanism, right? Just to be safe. Just maybe hedge your bets a little bit. Just um, mitigate against risk a little bit. So like, like one egg in here and two eggs in here. It's okay if you want to put two eggs in the Jesus basket, but just make sure you have, for a rainy day, put one egg in the humanism basket and you'll be okay. And this takes on different forms. And I'll, I'll show you how this works out kind of practically. Here's the first one. Uh, the first idea is this. These are people uh, who put their belief, uh, their, their belief egg in the basket of Jesus, but they put the other two eggs in the basket of humanism. So these are like people uh, who maybe they're raised in church and they go to a non-Christian college or they, they enter the workforce for the first time and it's like not a Christian workplace, right? Just whenever that first time you leave the Christian bubble and you have to start figuring life out, you guys know what I'm talking about? And it's that first time you come home crying and you call your parents, you're like, I don't know what to do. This person took the Lord's name in vain today and I was like, I don't know right? Or like the first time you like went to lunch with a colleague and you're like, the food arrived. You're like, okay, cool. So can I pray for you about anything? And they're like, uh, no. And you're like, oh, oh, this, this isn't in the Bible. I don't know how to move forward with this, right? <laughs> like, do I go ahead and pray? Do I not? I don't know, right? The first time something comes against you just a little bit, probably what's happened is you believe in Jesus, right? You believe in Jesus, but your whole framework and your outcomes might be driven by humanism, right? I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to work in the world as if there is no Jesus. It's dog eat dog. It's cutthroat. I'm going to try to get things done. And the outcomes I want are the world's outcomes. I want money. I want power. I want fame. I want sex. I want status. I want Lamborghinis. No, I don't want Lamborghinis because I don't believe in fossil fuels, okay? I want like the newest Prius car. I want to... I, wanna, I want one of those like Tesla cars, right? Right? But I want them and I want a lot of them. I want them in my garage, which is powered by Tesla. And I want them parked next to my rocket ship that SpaceX is going to shoot me to the moon. That's what I want. But as soon as I get there, I'm going to be like, all glory to God, man. All glory to God. Right? So your whole world is just this world that's in tension. You're like, I believe in Jesus, but the way I live is from the world, right? Okay. Here's what I think. The way you're going to find happiness is not by doing this all the time, Right? The way you're going to find peace and satisfaction is this, right? So the, second op the second option here is this. Maybe, maybe it's not belief, but maybe framework, maybe your framework, right, is in the Jesus basket, but everything else is in the world's basket. So the way that that works is this is kind of like, um, this is like the non-Christian who goes to like Christian school, 
right? A Christian private school. Some of you guys went to, do we have any Christian private school people who are here? Okay, right? So you had like the non-Christian who went there. So beliefs, presuppositions, they're all like uh, non-Christian. But then they get educated to think like a Christian. And it's like they've, they've learned how to weaponize the Bible to get what they want in life. And their ends are always still a little bit like mischievous about things and you know these people right and so it's really inconsistent at times you're like I'm not sure if he's a Christian right like he became a musician and he said God in the song and I don't know maybe he's a Christian right oh, is, is he a Christian rapper like I don't know like I don't know how that works right and you're not sure because all this language this vocabulary is similar right this is a person if you're not sure if they're a Christian or not there's a good chance what they're doing is this kind of thing right or maybe this is you who's here today and you're like I don't know if I'm a Christian. I, I, my framework tends to be Christian. I've inherited all these cultural trends. I don't know. Here's the step. Put all your eggs in the Jesus basket, right? That's the way forward. The third way is this, or the third illustration of this is, uh, and this may be actually called the rap artist. This is the person whose belief is pagan, right? Their belief is pagan and their uh, framework is pagan. But as soon as anything happens, it's like all glory to God, right? So like, yeah, I want to give all glory to God for my latest song, How I Stabbed and Shot Everybody. Like, it's just, you know, it's just beautiful. Or like the rock star who gets up there and is like, yeah, I want to give all praise to my big man, JC. I got my JC tattoo right here at the Grammys. I'm just thankful uh, for this rock album called The Knights of Satan, right? It's awesome, right? Or just like, and you're just like, whoa. Like, yeah, it comes across and you're like, wait, what's happening here? And all you see is just this inconsistency. Or maybe on, a, on another level, you've got this coworker, right? This coworker like cuts corners and always stabs people in the back and they keep getting these promotions in these very nefarious ways. And you're like, oh man, what gives? And you sit down at lunch and like the food arrives and you're like, shall I pray? And they're like, yes, let's pray. And you're like, oh, like what? And so they're like, listen, I'll pray and I'll pay for it. And they pray like a really good Pentecostal prayer over their food and you're like, Ooh, like what happened? Like they're praying the blood of Jesus over the table right now. And you're like, what is happening? And then they say amen and you're like, oh my goodness, like are you a believer? And they're like, yeah, I'm a believer. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. And then they, they speed back to work. And as soon as they get back, they like go on this tirade in the office and they backstab people. And you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what to believe. Should I pray for you? Should I pray with you? I'm not sure of the preposition, for or with. I just need to know, like, where are you at with relation to the baskets? My pastor to the baskets thing. Can you tell me where are you at, right? Or maybe this is you and you feel that tension who's here today. Listen, bottom line, the only way you're gonna move forward and find peace in this life all eggs in the basket. All eggs in the basket. Finally, you can switch baskets from this one to this one. You can put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. And you gotta remember this. I would say keep this in mind. Awareness flows from trust. Awareness flows from trust. Now, why would I say that? Because this move right here that I've kind of mentioned cavalierly in a joking manner this move right here is really, really hard and scary, okay? You're like, oh, I got two in here. Should I hold on to that shirt? I don't know if I want to give this. I don't know. Okay, maybe I need to give one back. Okay, Jesus, I'm sorry. It's no offense, Jesus, but I'm just not sure about this. This is really hard. It takes a lot of trust in Jesus. It takes a lot of trust in the community around you. It takes a lot of trust in yourself. And sometimes you feel like you're flying, flying blind. And remember, you're in this tension of what's going on here. This thing takes a lot of trust. But I want you to remember, um, awareness flows from trust. The more you trust Jesus, the more likely you're going to be aware of what he's doing in this world. 
which is going to reinforce your core value of believing in Jesus, which is going to impact your framework, which is going to impact your outcome of being aware of what he's doing in the world, which is going to impact your belief, which is going to impact your framework, which is going to impact your awareness. The more you trust Jesus, the more aware you're going to be of what he's working in the world. Now, let me say this very clearly. The more you trust Jesus doesn't mean the more awareness you have or the more of Jesus you have. I'm not saying that. Like people who trust Jesus completely have all this immediate awareness. No, no, no. It's more likely that you're going to be aware of what's going on in the world. And that awareness is crucial to the growing spiritual life. Let me end with this story to kind of tie all this stuff together. I'm going to tell you a story about the time that I prayed my dad would be in a car wreck. So... If you guys don't know this about me, I grew up in a non-Christian home. In fact, I grew up in an agnostic, atheist home. And um, my dad, uh, growing up, just did not believe in Jesus, did not believe in anything. And I think my dad's probably the person who became agnostic at first because it was convenient. And he just do whatever he wanted. Um, and then after a while, like went to college and got trained in kind of a non-Christian pagan framework. And was like, oh, this is fun. And so, I don't know, by his 40s and 50s, my dad's a full-blown atheist. And I'm growing up in this home. So like, whereas you guys would, you know, maybe if you grew up in a Christian home before, you know, before you went to sleep at night, you would like maybe pray with your kids or your parents would pray with you or whatever. Uh, my dad would just be like, I'm very thankful there is no God. Are you thankful, son? I'm like, yeah, I'm thankful, right? And that's how we would like move. There's no prayer at mealtime, none of this stuff. Well, when I was 16 or just before I turned 16, I became a Christian. And I remember this process. It was really scary during high school of like me you know, starting to, to do this. And it was really difficult because my dad wasn't a Christian. So every egg that dropped into that basket meant a lot of pushback from my dad. Every, every egg. So the, when I became more and more Christian, my dad became more and more aggressive. And um, we had this very distant Cold War period of our life. And then about age 20, some things started happening in my dad's life. The, just the dashboard of his life is going off. Like all this pain he's been avoiding all his life, all this pleasure he's been seeking all his life is just... It's just, it's just added up, and he can't, he can't go much further. It was unsustainable. And so um, in the midst of this process, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I'm trusting him, and these, these weird things just started to happen, like crazy stuff, like freaky Jesus stuff, right? Or creep, what do we call it, creepy Jesus stuff? Creepy Jesus stuff. Or if you're, if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis's writings, it's deep magic, right? All these deep magic things started happening. Like I would just be able to kind of sense when things were happening, like... It was really weird. But the, and I should tell you, I'm not like a signs and wonders and miracle person. Like I chase after it and I need it to be there in order to validate my Christianity. There are some people who are and those are good people. I'm not. I'm probably the opposite. I'm like, that probably didn't happen. Here's who I am. You should know this. This is important for the story. Like um, a little kid could walk the aisle at church and say, I believe in Jesus and I want to get baptized. And if that kid came to me, I'd be like, no, you don't, right? Because I'm just like skeptical. I'm like, how do you know? Like, what does the Westminster Confession say? What's the chief end of man? And the kid's like, what? I'm like, yeah, you're not a Christian. Like, do you experience convi conviction from sin? No. Can you even spell sin? No. Get out of here. You're not getting saved. Like, that's me on most days. And not because I'm trying to be mean. I'm just very skeptical of all of these things. This is important because... It's early one morning in Waco, Texas, and at four o'clock in the morning, I am awakened, like, <gasps> like sit up in bed, like, okay, like something weird is going on. And I just hear the voice of the Lord and a still small voice in my soul tell me, Doug, I want you to pray that your dad is in a car wreck today, that it will get his attention. And I'm like, 
So this is how it's going to be, God, right? Like this, like, I don't know how I'm going to explain this to my friends. This is so weird, God. Can this be some, my, 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 keep in mind, my roommate is in a bunk bed right above me. I'm like, God, can you tell that to him? Like, can I just go back to sleep? I don't, I don't know if I want this. Like, this is kind of weird. This is like Moses stuff. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And he's like, I said what I said. I'm like, dang it. Okay, God, I'm going to do this. So I, I physically get out of bed and I get out on my knees and I pray, okay, God, I'm trying to trust you. I'm really, really trying to trust you here. So I'm going to pray that my, God, my dad is in a car wreck, that you will get his attention and bring him to put faith in Christ, right? Amen. And I open my journal and I write it down because I'm like, this is so crazy. If this doesn't happen, I at least have this like crazy dream story or something. And maybe like Paul McCartney, I can turn it into a best-selling song one day or something like that. Can you imagine that? That would be so much fun. You're like, yeah, that's the top Christian song about the guy who prayed for his dad to be in a car wreck. Like, no, that totally wouldn't work. I don't know what I was thinking, right? It was early in the morning. I was like, okay, I'm documenting this. Slide the, slide the journal back under my bed. Crawl back into my bed. Go to sleep. I'm like, okay. Six o'clock. Ring, 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 ring. I'm like, what? Who's calling me at six o'clock? So I pull out my phone. I look at it. It's my dad. I'm like, this is weird. That's the point where like the hairs on the back of your neck start standing up, right? You're like, you know, like someone just starts to work their way up a violin string. Like it's a scary movie or something. I'm like, oh no, like something's happening. I'm telling you, so weird, okay? And so I answer it and I'm like, hello? Uh, And my dad goes, hey, Doug. And I can hear rain in the background. He's like, hey, Doug. Uh, I don't know how to describe this, but I was driving through Waco today, and it was raining, and I got in a car wreck, and I'm stuck on this overpass. Can you come pick me up? And I did the like, what? Like, what? And I was like, uh, sure, Dad, that's great. So, like, I hung up the phone, and I opened up my journal. I was like, this did happen. Like, this is so weird. Like, God, you, you work in these really weird, mysterious ways, so... I get in the car, you know, put on the clothes, obviously, and get in the car and drive to go pick up my dad. And I get in the car, he's dealing with the paperwork, whatever, and he closes the door, he gets into my car, and he's like, whew, this is a crazy experience. I don't know why this happened. And I was like, hmm. And I heard God go, tell him. I was like, oh, oh. Now, by this point, like, I'm feeling a little more confident about the eggs in my basket, and so I, I start to calculate the relational math, and I go, okay, I think I could probably spend some chips here and saying something a little weird for my dad, and I don't know, maybe God might do something in it. So I go, hey, Dad, funny story. Um, this morning about 4 o'clock, God, the, you know, the God you don't believe in, uh, well, he woke me up from bed and asked me to pray that you would be in a car wreck today. Now, my dad's a lawyer, Okay. So my dad is very skeptical at this point. He's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, really? And he's like, okay, why do you think the God of the universe had you do this? I said, because there's a lot of crap going on in your life, Dad, and you're not paying attention to it, and this is the last thing he's going to do to get your attention. And I said that, and I went, why did I just say that out loud to my dad? (laughs) On top of being disrespectful, that's so random. Why would I say that? And my dad just did this. Hmm. And a year later, my dad became a Christian. The craziest thing in the world. Now, all this other crazy stuff happened, but here's what I'm telling you, right? I'm not a super Christian. And in fact, if you looked at me at that time period, here's what you would have said. Doug is the least likely person to ever have a creepy Jesus, Holy Spirit, Pentecostal, mystical experience from God. The least likely person to do this. But, But here's what I did have. 
I was putting all my eggs in this basket. And trust um, begets awareness or awareness flows from your trust. So part of the reason it's so crucial to get in the habit of stop trying to play around with like, you know, one in one basket, one in the other, is that awareness flows from trust. If you want to be aware of what God's doing in the world, if you want to see his heart for the poor and the impoverished, if you want to see what he's doing in a community, if you want to feel the kind of community thing that goes on there, you just got to put all the eggs in this basket. You got to stop being someone who's like those people in June. You got to lean in all the way. And when you will, I'm telling you, crazy things are going to start happening that would blow your mind even if I told you right now. So if that's something that you want to look forward to today, if you're someone who wants to make that step, switching baskets and putting all your eggs in that basket, I want to just pray for you right now and then let us respond in song and with a prayer time. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray for my friends who are here today. May we be the kind of people who no matter how many eggs we have, we put them all in the basket of you. You're either right or you're wrong. We're either going to be all in and we're going to see you do what you say you're going to do or we are going to be the biggest fools in this universe. But Jesus, we've read the end of the Bible and we know you are the victor. We just celebrated that at Easter. And so I pray for the friends who are here today. Would you help give us grace and mercy and tenderness and trust to take the step of putting all our eggs in your basket? Would you be glorified? And Jesus, would you just do amazing works of awareness in their lives as they do that to just reinforce by your deep magic, by the movement of your spirit that you're real? Would you just take care of them every step of the way as you shepherd them towards a deeper and deeper and deeper trust of who you are? And we ask this for your glory and for our good and for the good of the city that we love that we're we're wanting to reach so badly. And it's in your name we pray. I'll invite you to stand if you're able which is our default posture in worship. We're gonna sing a song together. If you're someone who is maybe impacted by something said here today or some music or something, we're gonna have our staff down front. We'll have some guys, we'll have some girls. And I wanna encourage you, if maybe you're bold, maybe the first step of you putting an egg in a basket and starting to make that process is to come pray with someone. We would love to pray with you. Um, We'd love to pray with you. There's guys to pray with you, girls to pray with you. Maybe you're someone who just wants to pray where you are. That's perfectly fine. If God touched you and you just wanna think about something, that's great. Maybe you're someone who wants to sing the song we're going to sing, which is called King of My Heart. If you want to sing that song, that's great as well. However you need to respond, this is your chance to respond. Uh, DJ Derek is going to dim the lights a little bit, so we'll have a little bit of cover of of a kind of darkness here, not because we're trying to usher in evil, but we're kind of creating an atmosphere that, you know, it's cool for people to walk around. So if you see people moving, they're, they're moving because maybe God's moving in them. And just be cool and be a good neighbor to them uh, during this song that we sing. Justin, the band are gonna lead us, and then I'll get back up to close this out.